Blog Talk Radio. And because 
the Lord has revealed Angola who is in the land. Na kwa sababu Bwana amefungulia Angola ni nani aliye katika nchi. Elijah moved from Bethel to Gilgal to Jordan to go. Elia alitoka Bethel Gilgal kwenda Yorodani kwenda. So the prophet of the Lord is moving from here to a double portion of revival in Angola for the church to enter. Kwa hivyo nabii wa Mungu anatoka hapa kwenda Angola kwa upako madufu ili kanisa lipate kuingia. I see Kenya is open. Ninaona Kenya hii wazi. I see Kenya is ready. Ninaona Kenya hii tayari. But Angola is not yet ready. Lakini Angola haiko tayari bado. Time is finished. Na wakati umekwisha. Time is over. Wakati umeisha. Please release the prophet to Angola. Tafadhali achilieni nabii aje Angola. Please let the fireable mighty man of God, the one sent by God to come to Angola. Tafadhali wachilieni nabii mkuu wa Mungu aliyetumwa na Mungu aje kule Angola pia. Let me tell you something. Hebu niwaambie kitu. If you don't know. Kama mjui. The Bible. Biblia. Then you don't know what's happening here. from the book of Zechariah. Anasoma kutoka katika kitabu cha Zakaria. Zechariah chapter 14. Zakaria mlango wa 14. And this is what the word of the Lord says. I will gather all nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Nitakusanya mataifa yote ya Yerusalemu ili yakaweze kupigana dhidi yake. And the city will be captured. Nayo muji utatekwa nyara. And the houses ransacked. Na nyumba zitatawanyika. And the women raped. Na wanawake watabakwa. Half of the city will go into exile. Nusu ya mji itatekwa nyara. But the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Lakini watu wengine hawatachukuliwa toka mjini. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. Kisha Mungu ataenda kule nje na kupigana dhidi ya hayo mataifa. As he fights in the day of the battle. Jinsi alivyopigana siku ya vita. Listen to me Elder Maravin. Nisikize Elder Maravin. Verse 4. Mstari ule wa On that day his feet will stand on the mount of olives. Siku hiyo miguu yake itasimama katika mlima wa zaituni. East of Jerusalem. Mashariki ya Yerusalemu. 
And the Mount of Olives will be split into two from east to west. Na katika mlima wa Zaituni utagawanywa katikati mashariki na magharibi. Forming a great valley. Ikiunda bonde kubwa. With half the mountain going south, half going north. Na nusu ya mlima ikienda kaskazini na nusu kusini. You will flee from the mountain valley. Mutatoroka kutoka katika bonde wa mlima. I am reading verse 8. Anasoma mstari wa 8. On that day living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Katika siku hiyo maji ya uzima yatatiririka toka Yerusalemu. I am reading verse 9. Anasoma mstari wa 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Naye Bwana atakuwa mfalme wa dunia yote. And on that day there will be only one Lord. Na siku hiyo kutakuwa na Bwana mmoja. And his name the only name. Na jina lake moja. Listen to me the precious people of the Lord. Nisikize watu wadhamana sana wa Mungu. I have a very important message for you. Nina jambo muhimu sana lenu. The message I have for you. Ujumbe ambao ninao kwenu. Is the message of the coming of the kingdom of God. The message of deliverance to the church. Ujumbe wa ukombozi katika kanisa. You have suffered a lot. Mumeumia sana. You have experienced a lot of evil spirits. Mumepitia sana nguvu za shetani. Until you could not even discern. Mpaka hata mungeliona. Until you can know which is the way to go. Ili mujue ni njia ipi ya kwenda. No wonder you could not show the people of the land. Ndiyo maana mungeweza kuwaonyesha watu wa nchi. Which way to go. Jia gani ya kwenda. But just like a prayer from Zachariah. Lakini jinsi nilivyo soma toka Zachariah. The season has changed. Majira ya mebadilika. And the Lord he took me to the Mount of Olives. Na mungu alinichukua hadi mlima wa Zaituni. He took me to Jerusalem. Haka nichukua haka nipeleka Yerusalemu. On the Mount of Olives. Katika mlima wa Zaituni. And he showed me the Mount of Olives. Na haka nionyesha mlima wa Zaituni. And then the heavens opened. Na kisha mbingu zika funguka. And then he showed me the eastern gate of Jerusalem. Kisha haka nionyesha mlango wa mashariki wa muji ya Yerusalemu. I repeat this one. Nina rudia hili. He showed me the eastern gate. Alinyonyesha mlango wa mashariki of the city of Jerusalem. Wa muji ya Yerusalemu. When I was standing on the mount of olives. Nilikuwa nimesimama katika mlima wa Zaituni. And heaven opened. Na mbingu zikafunguka. The gate of heaven opened. Mlango kuu na mbinguni likafunguka. And the glory of Jehovah God. Na utukufu wa Yehova Mungu. Came out of heaven. Ukashuka toka mbinguni. And the eastern gate of Jerusalem. Was swung open. Ukafunguka. And the glory of the Lord. Na utukufu wa Mungu. straight into Jerusalem. Ikaingia ndani ya Yerusalemu. Like it will be. Ni kama jinsi itakavyokuwa. The day of the Lord. Siku ya Bwana. So I am announcing to you. Kwa hivyo ninawatangazieni. Jehovah God. Kwamba Yehova Mungu. He has changed gears. Amebadilisha majira. He has moved to another level. Ameenda hatua And now he's talking about Jerusalem. Wakati Yesu 
from Bethphage. And he was moving to Bethany. And he went on the Mount of Olives. And he was heading to Jerusalem. And the eastern gate of Jerusalem was open. And they were shouting. They were saying, Hosanna. To he that comes in the name of the Lord. At that time, Nazareth had just been resurrected. The Lord had defeated death. And they knew about it. Show me. 
rapture. There will be seven years of tribulation. And the Lord showed me what the day of the Lord looks like. Those of you that went with Bendera, 
Nimekupeleka kwa the mountain. Nimekupeleka kwenye milima. Now you can come back. Sasa mwaweza rejea. You can return to the church. Mwaweza rejea kanisani. The Lord is cleaning the church. Bwana anatakasa kanisa. It is time out. Wakati umeyoma. Let us prepare. Wacha tutayarishe. Because the rapture is near. Remember the Eastern days. If you fail to recognize, you are our visitation. The gate will close. But today I announce you that you have a great blessing. If you repent genuinely, the pastors and bishops, please clean up your heart. Let the Holy Spirit return to the church. Let the Holy Spirit of God protect you, Koibate. Blessed are you, Koibate. Because you see the revival of the Lord. Because you are important to the Lord. That's why the enemy was trying to get you. But today I'm announcing to the devil. That you are finished by the blood of Jesus. And there is healing coming to the land. And the Lord showed me yesterday. A lot of fighting in the church. And they were throwing some people out of the And the Lord made me feel his heart. And he was in pain. And he said, Tell them to receive my people. Let healing come back. If the Lord says, Come back. Then deliverance has come into your home, into the church, into your job, the service of God, the season has changed. I know that the reason that many people ran away from church because the servants of God they preach a false gospel that's the reason many people ran from church but today the servants of God they are returning the blood of Jesus the gospel of prosperity and Bahasha in Aisha Leo in the name of Jesus I take authority and I close down every single altar of Andambego and I raise for Jehovah God
towards him. How weak are you that you can fall to sexual sin? Look at Molo. In Nakuru. They went back to sexual sin. Stop preaching money. And you women. 
Lord. Mwiliona utukufu wa Mungu. The Lord promised. Mungu aliahidi that the latter anointing. Huo upako wa baadaye. The latter anointing. Huo upako wa baadaye. The latter glory. Huo utukufu wa baadaye. Going to be more powerful. Unaenda kukua wa nguvu zaidi. More than the days of Paul. Kushinda nyakati za Paulo. The days of Peter. Nyakati za Petero. So if you want the latter glory. Kwa hivyo kama unataka utukufu wa baadaye. Then let us return to holiness. Kwa hivyo acha turejee katika utakatifu. The Holy Spirit is holy. Roho mtakatifu ni mtakatifu. Our Father is holy. Baba yetu ni mtakatifu. Jesus is holy. Yesu ni mtakatifu. one day like you have today wanatamani wangalikuwa na siku kama hii ambayo mko nayo so they can come together ili wakaweze kuja pamoja and return to jehovah na wamrejelee jehovah and yet for you the window is open na nyinyi kwenu dirisha liwazi remember jerusalem kumbuka yerusalemu when jerusalem failed to recognize wakati yerusalemu ilishindwa kutambua they are our visitation wakati wao wa mtembeleo it did not matter how precious they Haikujalisha ni watu wa dhamana kiasi gani. the eastern gate lango la mashariki la Yerusalemu. Na mpaka siku ya leo. Hakuna amani Yerusalemu. Na hata katika wakati wa urejeo wa pili. Of the Lord. Wa Bwana. And yet there are millions of Jews. Na bado kuna mamilioni ya Wayahudi. But he's going to take only a few. Lakini anaenda 
kuwachukua wachache because they failed to recognize kwa sababu walishindwa kutambua the most important hour in their life wakati ambao ulikuwa muhimu sana katika maisha yao so kwa hivyo koibatek today is your hour of presentation if you can recognize the holy spirit ikiwa mweza tambua roho mtakatifu he is going to prepare you for jesus anaenda kuwatayarisheni kwa yesu and he will teach you holiness na atawafunza utakatifu and the women in koibatek na wanawake wa koibatek beginning today tangia leo if there is anything called a miniskirt ikiwa kuna kitu chochote kunaitwa miniskirt i want you to cut it with the scissors nataka muweze kuikata kwa makasi i want you to cut it with the scissors nataka muikate kwa makasi the women of koibatek wanawake wa koibatek the women of eldama ravin wanawake wa eldama ravin i saw some of you already walking here and you have slipped niliwaona wengine wenu mwatembea hapa na kumbe mna mikato if you have a slip ikiwa una mkato i want you to choose jesus ninataka umchague yesu and cut it in pieces with the scissors na ukate huo mkato katika vipande kutumia makasi na moto na uichome kwa kutumia moto usipatie mwingine kutumia usigawe mwenzako atumie remove the slips from the house of god mkato katika nyumba ya bwana remove the miniskirt from the house of god katika nyumba ya bwana we are returning to holiness you saw the rain of the holy spirit there is a bigger rain coming kuna mvua mkubwa unakuja the bigger rain usikose mvua ule mkubwa let us return to jesus wacha tumrejelee yesu hallelujah blog talk radio Let it rain Let it rain Open the floodgates of heaven Let it rain Let it Sing out Ah what a blessing precious people and precious listeners uh today i wanted to share with you a very very important message i have been writing some holy oracles of the lord based on just one item and i want to read through today the article that i've written to share it with you globally on blamelessness because the bible says very clearly that the bride of christ will be blameless meaning has no blame has no accusation on that day i am talking about the church that will be able to navigate her path her course into the glorious kingdom of the messiah the kingdom of god the father in heaven the kingdom of the holy spirit my friend and so i took blamelessness and i wrote an article here which i want to read for you 
The title of this article that I've been writing the past two days is called Blamelessness and the Wedding Rings in the Sky. Because the Bible says that the Bride of Christ will be blameless. Meaning no accusation can be levied on her on that day. I'm talking about the church that has prepared. And as I read through this article, I'm going to explain it step by step. And so, I want to look at blamelessness and the wedding rings. The wedding rings in the sky. And the subtitle after that major title, blamelessness and the wedding rings, the subtitle becomes revealing the character of Christ. He says, when the Lord presented the two golden glorious wedding rings in the sky, He indeed spoke so much to the present day church of Christ. Then He goes on to say, that key among the things that the Lord spoke was the fact that some of the features that came to be defined by the wedding rings, by the story of the wedding rings, the vision of the wedding rings, the narrative of the wedding rings, is the fact that these two wedding rings, in that vision of November 1, the year 2006, the vision that has become the platform for revival, the foundation for this historic end revival. And he says, when the Lord spoke through those two glorious wedding rings. Central among the conversations that he is trumpeting from the sky to the church of Christ globally, world over. Central is the fact that those wedding rings actually they bespeak, they announce, they trumpet the excellent perfection of Jehovah. Let me just break down that a little bit. Because you see that when I describe that mighty, mighty conversation of Jehovah, whereby there are two wedding rings in the sky, key within that description, the narrative that I've been giving, that I gave since then until now, is this. I said, when you look at the gold, with which the wedding rings were made by Jehovah and then placed in the sky, that I saw that the gold was very, very rich, rico in Spanish, very rich gold, very expensive and costly, affluent gold. And I said that when you look at the practice of gold, even the choice of gold by Jehovah, to make the wedding rings out of a rich reddish brown gold. This is what you pick out. Men go to places to buy wedding rings. And the Lord speaks to me in that vision. And he says, wherever you go, even if you went to the whole known wide world, you can never ever find these wedding rings. That's the first thing he made me know in that vision. That I cannot find them. Whether I go east or left or where or north or south. I will not find them on the earth. And that right away speaks to me something very critical. About the nature of this God. 
if these wedding rings are indeed now laid on the sky, and therefore the Messiah, the darling of heaven, the Christ, the Redeemer, the Savior, then in the manner of the love between the Father and the Son, you can just imagine for yourself how pure and costly these wedding rings are. Meaning, on the earth here, when people prepare gold, they ensure that there is a purification. You pass gold through fire. And that fire purifies the gold by removing impurities. They remove the iron, the silver, the bronze, aluminium, name it. And then I said, if this is now the heavenly purification of the wedding ring for the Christ, how much more purified then must these wedding rings be made of? I mean the gold that were purified to become the working material, the raw product for these wedding rings. And, and so I said, in his telling me that I cannot find it anywhere in the universe, you right away see the perfection of Jehovah right there. You see that these must be the most purified rings ever since the universe and the heaven were made. The most purified rings are these rings here. And he said that not like any other again, meaning the perfection of the purification process must be indescribable in this lifetime. We cannot write it in a book. We cannot act a movie. We cannot put it in a novel. We, there is no way we can put a description to it. We cannot tie a description to the purification process alone. If I am told by the Lord that I cannot find it anywhere across the earth and the universe. And so, today I am linking the message of the golden glorious wedding rings in the sky with one feature when I said that the bride of Christ must be blameless. That the pastor, the shepherd must be blameless. There is no way as a pastor you can teach blamelessness or prepare a blameless church except that you yourself, you are blameless. That goes without saying. And that's why I'm saying right from the word go, when you see the manner in which the Lord presented the two golden glorious wedding rings in the sky, right away you see the excellent perfection of Jehovah. The excellent perfection of the Lord. And I began right away with the raw material. The purification of the gold. How much more purified then must the gold be if it is for the Christ, for the Messiah, for His Son, for the darling of heaven, for the King of glory, for Redeemer, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Prince of all peace, the Everlasting Father, Emmanuel. How much more purified must the Father have ensured that the wedding rings be to be fit that day, the day that we have described as the most historic day in the calendar of heaven and the universe, the calendar of creation. No other day has befitted its descriptive. And that's why he says that the wedding rings indeed underscore 
they shout from the sky, they shout to the church, they shout to the nations about the excellent, the perfection, excellent perfection of Jehovah. And I am using this to discuss a, a topic which actually describes excellence. Because I'm talking about this feature that the church and the pastor ought to bear called blamelessness. Meaning no accusation at all whatsoever. And in this write-up he says, The faultlessness with which they were designed, produced, and presented in the sky is what speaks it all about the Lord's flawlessness. Can I repeat this? He's saying, in other words, when I saw that vision, and I saw the excellence with which the wedding rings had been designed, produced, and presented in the sky, it spoke about lack of fault. They were made without any fault, without any mistake. They really shout the perfectness, the excellent perfection of the Lord, the blamelessness of God. Which means, when you look at the wedding rings as I did, there is nothing you can point and give accusation to the rings. Say, uh-uh, look, that part was not well made. And I want you as a church, as I speak these things, I want you to start seeing yourself. I want you to see that it is your story I am talking about. The requirement that the wedding rings have shouted and trumpeted across the sky to you. That you too, when that day arrives, the day of the rings arrives. The day of rapture can essentially also be said to be called the day of the rings, of those two rings. The day when those two rings will be put to use. You must be able to see the spiritual undertone, the spiritual underpinning, the undercurrent of this message, that this message is actually talking to you, the believer. Those things he's describing are actually, wake up call, he's saying, how about you, when the day of the rings arrives, the excellent rings, the flawless rings, the blameless rings, will you be blameless too? Will it find you blameless? And that's what he's talking about in this article. And he says, while describing their imposing stature in the sky may have been a wondrous undertaking, unraveling the spiritual significance they portray into the church, however, has turned out to be the most crucial venture. Can I explain this? He's saying, I spent all my time until this day, describing those wedding rings. Every country I have gone to, I have described that wonder, wondrous vision, that shocking vision that has shocked me until today. Describing those wedding rings. But he says, while I have been totally consumed, going from corner to corner of the earth, describing the wonder that I saw in that vision, the wondrous wedding rings, he says, however, unraveling and unfolding and unveiling the spiritual message that they speak to you, the believer, to the church, has become the most critical and crucial undertaking. Hallelujah. He says, it is powerful to describe them. But, when it comes to now to give the spiritual message they bring to the church, he says, that became now the most critical part of this vision, he says. But he goes on to say, 
For this reason alone, I now well comprehend why I have in many occasions significantly dwelt in the fine details, detailing of their designs, including the elegant finishing of their exterior surfaces and the polished finishing of their apertures, of the inside, the interior, the part that touches the finger. Let me explain a little bit as I move on. I'm essentially just reading the article and expanding to you, magnifying the message to you. So until now, what I'm describing is this. I'm saying that there is a quality that the Lord raised called blamelessness, meaning to do things such that when that day arrives, not even one finger of accusation can be levied on you like this. Nobody can ever point at you and say, look, look, no, but look, there is that stain on your garment there. And I want you to understand that using this vision of the wedding rings, when I looked at this quality that the Lord requires from the church on that day, and I looked at the wedding rings that the Lord showed me in the sky, <laughs> I truly understood the meaning of blamelessness in the church. Because I could not find anything at all when I look at the wedding rings that would tell me that, look, this part was not done right. And I've said, right from the raw material, the gold itself, he made me know I cannot find this gold elsewhere. Meaning, it is done to the highest height of perfection, of excellence. Nothing faulty can be found in that material. Can I explain this? Look, I said on the earth here, you have to pass gold through fire to remove the impurities. And then we say 15 carat gold, 20 carat gold. I said, how much more then, if it is for the Messiah, and it is being prepared by God the Father, the God of Israel himself, how much more then purified must those wedding rings have reached levels we cannot describe in this lifetime. How much more? Considering the enormity of the Messiah. Considering the love of the Father for the Son. And so, when you look at the quality of blamelessness that the church ought to be wearing at this time, and you look at the wedding rings, then you understand that the wedding rings are actually speaking to the church that quality. They're telling the church, look, look at the way we are. Look at the way we have been prepared. There is no accusation you can ever point on us. And I'm saying this, that you can imagine for yourself that those wedding rings do not have even one speck, one granule of impurity, of impure metal. And that to me is the biggest way to describe blamelessness as a character of the church. Isn't that amazing? That the raw material itself is not found on the earth. Because nobody on the earth can remove all impurities as God does. So, the fact that it is pure gold, it really speaks about the purity, the perfectness, and the excellence of the perfection of God. Which means the blamelessness. How awesome. As I continue in this article, he says, with rich particles of gold dusted on their surfaces to create an affluent texture. Nothing in this world could rival the splendorous wealth of God 
that this heavenly display of the wedding rings shouts to the ends of the earth. Meaning, based on the fact that they are purified 1000% pure, you cannot find bronze there, aluminium there, you cannot find nothing there. It is pure gold. He says, that level of gold that the Lord raised and put in front of the nations, raising from above the sky, as a heavenly host, to guide the nations, also speaks about the wondrous affluence and wealth of God. Pure, pure, pure gold, so wealthy cannot be afforded. But when I look at another thing, when I look at the way in which the two wedding rings were identical one billion percent. I mean, I say it, you put a mirror here and you see the other one on the other side. Now, again, that level of sistering, that level of similarity cannot be attained in this lifetime. And I say, it, the fact that the Lord made sure that they were super, super identical wedding rings, one for the Messiah, the other one for the church, tells you right away that look wow only the Lord can achieve this excellence of perfection of identity only the Lord can do such a thing to make totally equal 1000% I mean never nothing even a dent and that's why I said in that alone in that display of excellent mirror imaging alone you can see the perfection of God there. You can see the blamelessness of God. Meaning, there is nothing you can look at and you blame. You say, ah, why is this one not exactly like the other? You cannot see that. That is the message the wedding rings are speaking to salvation today. To the church today. To the pastor on this day. He says, no. How come you can't see that what I've displayed right before you is essentially talking about the excellent, the blameless kingdom of God, the perfect kingdom of God. And blamelessness is at the center of the perfection of God, meaning when that day arrives, nobody can point a finger at anything. No accusation at all can be levied on the Messiah. How about you, the church? Will you be blameless on that day? To the extent that your excellent perfection has no accusation whatsoever. I think this is the high calling that the church has been called to. To partake of the wedding feast of the Lamb of God. And that raises serious questions on the way pastors are preparing their churches. Preparing sloppily, carelessly. They treat it as a regular ministry. No, it is not. The standard of the rapture of the church is a very high standard. Now I am beginning to awaken you to the excellence of the standard of that day. But let me read down the article. And he continues to say, Nonetheless, most intriguing has been the fact that these glorious heavenly rings are exactly congruent, meaning very identical. That's what I've just described. In fact, mirror image of one another in a manner that can only befit the perfection of God. That's what I've just described. That only God Almighty can achieve that excellent mirror imaging. That you make one here that is exactly identical to the other one, 100%. Only God can do that. That even the quality of the ring, the material, be just exactly the same, 100%. 
I think there is a wake-up call here on the blamelessness that the Lord says that on that day, the bride of Christ will be blameless. I think there is a high standard here that the church has not understood. That's why she has gone about her business like a joke without understanding that that blamelessness needs work. It needs work. You have to work with the Holy Spirit to achieve it. But let me continue with this article. He says, notably, as the Lord has perpetually revealed, one of these distinguished rings belongs to the church and the other to Christ the Messiah, the perfect man. You see, even by his name alone, the perfect man. And he says, in other words, the Lord is using these heavenly hosts to assert that when that day of rapture realizes, the church and the Messiah will wear the same signet ring for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And I've quoted Revelation chapter 19 verse 9. And he says, there can't be a better way of summing up this heavenly excellence that covered the sky with those rings in the sky uh -huh, than to say that the display that the Lord presented in the sky was meant actually to speak to the bride of Christ on the true meaning of without blemish. Can I explain this? The Lord is saying, and He's saying that when you look at the wedding rings in the sky, they essentially, they bespeak, they be trumpet blamelessness. In other words, they have no blemish like the Messiah Himself who has no blemish. So, he's saying that based on the conversation that is being announced by the wedding rings in the sky to the nations of the earth and to the body of Christ, the church of Christ, one thing comes out clear. When you look at the wedding rings, the message that hits your heart is that without blemish, without blemish, without blemish. That is all that hits you. That just as the Lord made those wedding rings without blemish, so is He using them to announce the church that, look, on the day of the rings, on the day of rapture, you too must be without blemish. But if you look at the classical definition of blameless bride, blameless church, blameless, the classical definition of blameless essentially means without blemish. So do you see now how the Lord spoke very mightily on that day and in that vision and to the church? That based on the workings of the Lord alone and the splendorous display of the significant, glorious, distinguished and honorable wedding rings in the sky, you see that Kumbe, there is a message. There is a serious message resonating from the skies and throbbing the four ends of the church, shaking the church. It's an awakening trumpet of God. He's saying, look, how come you can't see the excellence of my doing of these wedding rings in the sky? And how come that is not speaking to you about the excellence I demand of on this day? Hallelujah. And so he's saying very clearly that based on those wedding rings, if we now come to the character of the pulpit called blameless, the character of the pastor called blameless. 
the character of salvation called blameless. Strictly based on the excellent perfection of God that went into those wedding rings. Then we can now understand that those wedding rings are actually defining for us the meaning of blameless. They are saying that when the Lord said that the bride of Christ will be blameless, He essentially meant without blemish. <laughs> so in your lives, have you lived without blemish? Have you ensured that you observe a salvation without blemish? Because he's saying that is what will matter on this day. And he says, however, the best way to define God's excellent perfection that denotes without blemish is none other than that old biblical cherished novel proverbial word called blamelessness that I have just described to you. I've said essentially now, the wedding rings are describing to us what the Lord meant by blameless bride, meaning without blemish. Now I want to explore with you a little bit of the Old Testament, and then we'll come to the New Testament, on this character of blamelessness. And he's saying, without blamelessness, on that day, nobody will enter. That is just how serious this benchmark is. Let me read the article that I've written. He says, In the Old Testament, this virtue of blamelessness was always used in reference to animals without defect that were regularly offered as holy sacrifices unto the Lord Jehovah. He's saying, if we take a biblical expedition across the Old Testament, based on this so much needed standard of rapture called blamelessness, he says, blamelessness in the Old Testament was only applicable on the animals that used to be taken without defect and sacrificed unto the Lord Jehovah. So now the Lord is saying that when the wedding rings were placed in the sky and they began to shout unto the church blamelessness, they were essentially shouting sacrifice. Sacrifice unto the Lord. Hallelujah. So essentially the Lord, by presenting the vision of the excellent, blameless wedding rings in the sky, He was essentially shouting to the church, Hey, hey, look, it is about sacrifice unto the Lord. How we sacrifice, how we offer ourselves unto the Lord. You will see down there that there is only a certain type of sacrifice Jehovah receives. Jehovah accepts. He says, it was a quality that was often used to designate sacrificial animals that benchmarked, meaning that reached the standard, that benchmarked as honorable offerings unto the Lord, comma, owing to the fact that they were without blemish. What is the Lord saying here? He's saying in the Old Testament, this feature of blamelessness, he calls it a treasure. He calls it a virtue. Something you cannot purchase. He said when it comes to the Old Testament, this virtue of blamelessness was used in reference to sacrifice. To describe the animals that were prepared without defect and presented as sacrifice unto Jehovah. And so he has already brought to us another aspect of this 
precious character called blamelessness. He says, blamelessness actually is the standard that Jehovah uses for sacrifices that meet his requirement. Now we are seeing that this is too deep. This is too critical for the church. Blamelessness. He's saying now, blamelessness was always used in the Old Testament to describe those animals that measured the standard, that were found without defect, year old male, without defect, and they were offered unto the Lord. And he goes on to say that they were without defect, and hence they met the standard, the benchmark. They met the quality that was required as honorable sacrifice, meaning when you presented that type without defect, it brought honor unto the Lord. That's what he's talking about here. And now we see that we have introduced another definition, another quality that the wedding rings that were describing blamelessness to us are now giving us. Those wedding rings are now saying, in so trumpeting blamelessness, we are essentially trumpeting sacrifice. And not just sacrifice, but quality of sacrifice unto the Lord. And he says here, it was a quality that was often used to designate sacrificial animals that attained the benchmark as honorable offerings unto the Lord. Comma, owing to the fact that they were without blemish. In this context, the biblical reference is being made here with regard to blamelessness as a sacrifice unto the Lord, comma, more so with respect to the quality of such offering. So he's saying that if the wedding rings in the sky are the ones helping to define to us the blamelessness of God, meaning no accusation, no blemish, no defect, then he's saying they also bring to us a very important aspect of our life that the Lord demands of us, called sacrifice. How do we sacrifice our lives unto the Lord? What kind of offering are we presenting before Jehovah with our lives? That's what he brings in. But he says it goes beyond that because it's talking about without defect, without blemish. And then he says it lays, it lays emphasis on the quality of that offering. The quality of the offering that we are giving unto the Lord Jehovah. Are we contaminating our lives as we offer every day in our worship? We know that every day as we live our Christian lives, we are essentially offering our lives unto the Lord. But what quality then? And he says, on a more personal note, this treasure of blamelessness that the wedding rings in the sky traject into the church implicitly refer to the superior sacrifice that believers ought to offer in their worship unto Jehovah. That is very powerful. He's saying that even as the wedding rings now awaken us unto the blamelessness requirement of God, he's saying it has a direct bearing onto the personal life, the personal salvation, the personal Christian, the individual Christian. He's saying, it is essentially trajecting, is sending unto us, into our hearts, the fact that there is a superiority of sacrifice that the believers ought to offer the Lord with their worship. 
again, coming back to the same issue of quality, not just sacrifice. I'm not just born again. But what quality of sacrifice are you offering the Lord in your daily worship? And he goes on to say, in the same token, faultlessness, without mistake, in the same token, faultlessness, that these two wedding rings crusade across the sky, is now being employed by the Lord to define unto the church the sacrifice that he demands of the church of Christ that is aspiring to be raptured. So which means now he's using the wedding ring in the sky and he's taking one quality that the Holy Spirit ought to have brought into the church to those who have received him, to those who want to receive him, to those who are walking with him. And he's saying that the wedding rings, they are also speaking about the faultlessness. Just like the rings have no fault. He's saying, even you, the Christian, in your daily worship, as you do your life and worship Jehovah, you should be found faultless on that day. Flawless, in other words. This is powerful at such a time when this is lacking in the church. And he goes on to say, in this regard, the Lord always expects the Christian believer to present an honorable sacrifice that is without defect or blemish. Now you see what he talks about. He is now beginning to talk about honor, honor, honor unto the Lord. Because he's saying that only when you worship him, like the wedding rings present, like the wedding rings do, without blemish, without defect, without fault, without mistake, without flaw. He says, only then do you honor God. He now brings in honor. And I think this is very powerful because the question then becomes, the wedding rings are asking the church a question. Are you worshipping Jehovah with honor? Are you honoring him with your worship? With your life? With your salvation? With your ways? Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say, In the Old Testament, when Israel was required to sacrifice unto the Lord, such an offering was expected to be honorably prepared and placed at the entrance of the tabernacle of God prior to their entry. Can I explain this? He's saying, in the Old Testament, we are still in the Old Testament before I come to the New Testament, regarding this quality of blamelessness. And he's saying in the Old Testament, when Israel was required to sacrifice unto the Lord, as they did that, the requirement of the Lord, the benchmark, which is called the perfect law of perfect sacrifice unto the Lord, it's required of them to make sure that as they sacrifice, that sacrifice brings honor unto the Lord. Honorably prepared and honorably presented where? At the entrance of the tabernacle, not inside. At the entrance. Meaning, as we come into His holy presence, we present the honorable sacrifice and then we are reconciled with Him before we enter into His presence. Does somebody understand me there? Very powerful. He said, honorably, honor. Honor is the word there. You honor God in the manner in which you prepare that sacrifice. In the manner in which you prepare the sacrifice of your life, your daily life, your daily salvation. Just preparing it well and presenting it at the entrance, he said. Hallelujah. Honorably prepared and placed at the entrance of the tabernacle of Jehovah prior to their entry. 
into his holy presence. And then he says, this is the way by which the Israelites were first reconciled with the Lord before they entered his holy divine presence. It hence can be imputed that Christian believers too are today confronted with this monumental requirement of first presenting a holy sacrifice unto the Lord before venturing into his holy presence. That is true. He's saying, in other words, we see the projection of that requirement into the church. That we too need to prepare our lives right according to his requirements. And present our salvation and lives according to his requirements. Honorably, meaning to bring honor to him in the process. Before we venture into the dealings and wheeling with him. Asking him, Lord, give me this. Lord, let us do this. Lord, help me here. He's saying, we need, first of all, to come to him and be reconciled. If there is any place that repentance is spoken, then this is it. In other words, he's raising and highlighting repentance. And he goes on to say that that requirement is monumental. It's a monument that we have to surmount. And he goes on to say, this has become the greatest yardstick of our time for access into rapture of the church. Saying, even us now, we have to observe all the little tenets, the little ingredients of blamelessness, in order to see the kingdom of God, the requirements. Because he's saying, when blamelessness is announced by the wedding rings in the sky, or when the Holy Spirit says, blameless bride, he says, that blamelessness comes with several ingredients. One of them is without blemish. Another one, without defect. Now we are hearing another one when he's saying, honorably, honor, honor unto the Lord. Honorably prepared and presented. It comes with ingredients like faultlessness, like flawlessness. And he says, the church today is actually confronted with this monumental requirement to be able to enter rapture. He says, each of the ingredients of blamelessness must be met by the church on that day of the rings. And he goes on to say, It is therefore essential that as today's Christians place their sacrifice of worship before Jehovah, such an offering be acceptable unto the Lord. And I read here the book of Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3, which I have quoted in this article. And he says, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it at the door of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He says that he shall offer that year old male without blemish, and at the entrance that he may be accepted, the person who is offering. Do you see what the quality of blamelessness speaks to the church today? He says the quality of blamelessness is actually pegged, it's anchored, it is something that determines whether the Lord accepts you. That's what he's saying from this now. And I go on in this article and say that when Israel offered her sacrifice before the Lord in the old covenant, that offering often resulted into peace between them and Jehovah their God. And he's saying, 
the manner in which we embrace blamelessness in our lives and prepare our lives blamelessly, observing all the ingredients of blamelessness, meaning without defect, without blemish, faultlessly, without fault, without flaw, all the way down the line, and with honor. He says, that manner is what determines whether our worship will yield fruit. And you can see he's saying that every time they offered, they attained peace with God. Meaning, it is what determines whether we are reconciled with the Lord. Whether we are peace with the Lord. Hallelujah. And he goes on to say here in this article, that in the same way the Holy Spirit is saying that a holy worship sacrifice that the present day Christian believer offers unto the Lord is expected to yield a lasting reconciliation between the church and God Almighty. Then I've quoted again Leviticus chapter 3 verse 1. You can read that at home. I've just quoted a few scriptures, but there are many more. What we read was Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3. But now, at the end of this statement I've read, I have quoted Leviticus chapter 3 verse 1 and the book of Numbers chapter 6 verse 14. The other thing he's saying here is that such a sacred offering must be totally undefiled for it to be acceptable unto the Lord. And then he says Leviticus chapter 3 verse 6. But now look at this. Now he's introducing another factor. He's saying it is beautiful to talk about how such an excellent sacrifice will achieve the following for you before the Lord. He's saying that the requirement of Jehovah was that as you sacrifice, as you present your lives on the altar of the cross, on the altar of salvation, he's saying that let your lives be found without blemish, without defect, blamelessness in other words, without fault without error, without mistake, without flaw. And I know pastors are writing every word I'm saying because they will use this for their churches. Woe unto you, pastor, that is not writing this. Your sheep will not know this. And so he's saying that we described the requirement, the blamelessness that is required in our offering unto the Lord. But he's saying we are not complete until we describe now what happens if you don't present a sacrifice that is blameless? What happens now when you present a sacrifice that does not meet the standard of worship? And that's why now he says that such a sacred offering must be totally undefiled for it to be acceptable unto the Lord. Meaning, he is now talking about defiled sacrifice. What does it do? So when the Lord raised up the issue of blamelessness in the church, when he presented those two wedding rings, essentially he also warned about the other side. When you present a defiled sacrifice. And if I read on, he says, While offering sacrifices in the Old Testament, only undefiled animals were worthy of being Proffered, meaning offered, presented unto the Lord, and owing to the benchmark of sacrifice, the standard of sacrifice, the offering of a blemished animal was considered 
a serious blasphemy of the law, a serious violation of the law. It was considered a serious blasphemy. Now, you see, I began with this quality of blamelessness and I navigated it. I anchored it on the vision of the two wedding rings in the sky and I brought to you the perfection and the excellence with which the Lord demands worship. And I mentioned certain key standards without defect, without blemish, without fault, without error, without mistake. I mentioned that. But now he's saying that on the other hand, however, when one offered an animal that did not meet the standard of God, the worship standard, an animal that was defiled, it was considered a serious blasphemy of biblical law. It was considered an abuse, a serious blatant abuse of God. And then he says, it was also regarded as the most heinous act of an audacious disrespect unto God. It's called a brazen disrespect, dishonor. So now the church must wake up. You must begin to ask yourself, what type of offering, what type of sacrifice have I been offering the Lord? And if it is true that I have been offering the Lord a sacrifice that is blemished, then now today I am waking up to realize that actually I have been committing blasphemy before the Lord. I have been actually dishonoring the Lord, an audacious act of disrespect, meaning blatant. Now we are beginning to understand the gravity of presenting a holy, honorable, blameless sacrifice. Because he's saying the failure to do so is a blasphemy unto the biblical law, and also blasphemy unto God, and then abuse of God, dishonoring God. And the scripture he gives here is Malachi chapter 1 verse 8, which I'm reading. He says, when you priests offer blind animals for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the crippled and the sick animals, is it not evil? Present such a thing, a blind animal or a lame animal or crippled animal, a deaf animal or a sick animal, now to your governor in payment of your taxes and see what will happen. Will he be pleased with you? Or will he receive you graciously? Says the Lord of hosts. That's Malachi chapter 1 verse 8 to underscore what I'm talking about here. I am saying, for example, let's say in the African culture, in the Kenyan culture, in the Kenyan ways of doing life, Normally when people go to marry, you gain contact with that family, and then they ask, have you identified your bride? And then now you have to go, the group from one family, the men now, have to visit the other side, to announce to them the news that they want to marry their daughter. And when it's agreed that, oh, you can now marry my daughter, when the other one says so, then what happens is this, there is something called dowry and bride price. The price of the bride. Let's say, they say you must bring five cattle, or five goats, or sheep, whatever they say. I don't know, but I can say so. But listen to this now. Let's say they say bring five sheep. And then, this family from the man's side, the bride's groom, they go back. 
And then they send the animals. And then, in sending the animals, they send blind animals, crippled animals, deaf animals, lame animals, and sick animals. How will the family of the bride feel? Do you understand what the Lord is talking about here? He's saying, when you offer sacrifice with defect, with blemish, it is a way of saying, I don't honor you. It is contempt. Contempt unto his holy name. If we as human beings, that little example I've given you, we can feel that bad when blind animals are brought. Some of them are crippled, cannot walk. Some are deaf, cannot even hear when you try to communicate with them. Some of them are lame. Some are blind, cannot walk, knocking things. If we humans can respond the way you imagine now, how much more the Lord? Do you now understand what the Lord is doing by presenting the two golden glorious wedding rings in the sky and awakening the church onto the perfection, the moral perfection of the Lord requirement required unto the church? Do you now understand this? The gravity of this? He's saying, if in human terms, a man is going to marry from another family and they send blind animals, crippled animals, deaf animals, mute animals, animals that are lame, then it becomes an abuse, meaning the bride has been rated very, very low. Despised is the word. So, the Lord is using this to raise unto the church the fact that we too, as we present our daily worship with our lives before Him, we cannot present a worship that is blemished, that is crippled, and I'm still in the Old Testament. I've not yet come to the New Testament. And he's saying, from the sacrificial point of view, from this sacrificial point of view, the wedding rings that the Lord presented in the sky on November 1, 2006, accordingly present the concept of God's moral perfection at the individual Christian level. Which means he's saying, as we live as Christians and worship Him with our salvation, He expects a moral perfection from the individual believer. This is not just something spoken to a church proverbially or putative or imaginary. He's saying this one has a direct bearing into the daily life of the believer. He's saying that the Lord is speaking about the moral perfection of the individual believer. When you come before the Lord every morning as a born again, as you live your life, you're offering your lives unto the Lord. And he's saying, this has a serious bearing onto it. He's asking, are you walking to work and lasting at people with your eyes and coming back and saying you are still born again? Are you walking to work and stealing and abusing and doing whatever and blemishing the sacrifice and still appearing before him? He's saying moral perfection requirements. Moral perfection of the church. That is what the wedding rings are saying. And he says, considering the purity that the wedding rings beheld in that vision, it is impossible to envisage just how much purification took place. I have already mentioned that. So now, he is justifying why he requires of you moral perfection. He's saying, 
you cannot even imagine the level of purification that took place out there. Or you can imagine, those of you can try to put into context. And he says, Today, gold is strictly valued based on the stringency of their purification process they are passed through. And hence, the carat number is accordingly assigned. 20 carat, 15 carat, 3 carat, based on the purification Meaning, the value depends on the level of impurities you have removed. Meaning, the value depends on the blamelessness, the absence of impurity, the faultlessness, that there can be no accusation to this gold. And he goes on to say, if this flawless preparation and presentation of the wedding rings in the sky was meant to convey a message to the present day church, then such a message would not deviate from God's earnest demand that the church in like manner prepare blamelessly. Oh, he's saying if you are to wear those rings that are perfect, that are prepared without blame, without accuse, any accusation, without fault, then you too must now prepare blamelessly. And that's what I'm talking about. The moral character, the moral excellence, the moral perfection of the church that is required on the day of rapture. And he goes on to say, the Lord is principally saying that that day will be the day when the church will wear one of these distinguished, elegant, blameless rings. So she really has to be blameless. Because she will have to wear the blameless ring. In fact, if you asked me, I would rename that day. I can name it for you as the blameless day. The day of blamelessness. Meaning, those who will be blameless, that will be their day. But those who will be found with blame, they will cry and gnash their teeth and weep eternally from that day. He's asking, are you walking to work and lasting at people with your eyes and coming back and saying you are still born again? Are you walking to work and stealing and abusing and doing whatever and blemishing the sacrifice and still appearing before him? He's saying moral perfection requirements. Moral perfection of the church. That is what the wedding rings are saying. And for those of you who would like to receive the Lord, Please repeat this simple prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, my heart may be weak, but I know that your cross and blood is very strong, very mighty, and that out of that cross, the anointing of this hour has come. The empowering strength of God and I repent of all sin. And now I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And ask you to forgive my sins. And establish holiness in my life. And keep my name in the book of life in heaven. In the mighty name of Jesus. I am born again today. Amen.